Well, if you got a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 in the New Testament toward the end of your Bible, Hebrews chapter 2. Some of the most important questions that man has ever asked are found in the Bible. They're found in God's Word. And every time a question is asked, an answer is given. Sometimes it's given explicitly, other times it's given implicitly. But, but every time a question is asked, an answer is given. For instance, in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, Cain asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? He asked that to God and, and the obvious answer is yes. You are your brother's keeper. You are responsible to God for other people. In Genesis 18, verse 25, Abraham asked the question, as, as God is preparing to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, he asked, will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? And the answer is absolutely. God always does what is right. In Job chapter 14, Job is going through immense pain and and suffering, and, and Job asks the question, if a man dies, will he live again? And the question, answer to that question is, without a doubt, man will live again. Both the righteous and the unrighteous will live again, even after they die. And, and, and some will experience eternal life in heaven. Some will experience eternal death in hell. But we will live again. David asked the question in Psalms 119, how can a young man stay pure? And then he answers the question. He says, by obeying the word of God. And that's a clear answer that David gives us. In Isaiah chapter 6, God asked Isaiah the question, Who will go? Who can I send? And Isaiah, who is broken as he discovers the holiness of God, cries out to God, here I am, send me. When Jesus was here on this earth, he, he asked his disciples a question in Matthew 16. He, he said, who do you say that I am? And, and without hesitation, Peter answered the question. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Paul asked the question in Romans 6. Shall we go on sinning because we are saved by grace so that God's grace may abound? In other words, since we're saved by grace, we're not saved by works, should we keep on sinning? And, and then Paul answers the question, absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin live in sin any longer? Later on in that same book, Paul asks another question. He, he says, what can separate us from the love of God? And, and then he answers the question by saying nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. But when we open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, we discover a question that, that personally I believe should cause each and every one of us to fall on our knees. If we're here and we've, we've never turned from our sin and trusted Christ to be our Savior and Lord, this, this passage should call us to fall on our knees and ask God for forgiveness and trust Him to save us. If we're here this morning and, and we read this passage and we already are a Christ follower, then I believe that this verse will, 
will cause us to fall on our knees as we cry out in agony for people we love who have not yet responded to to God's offer of grace and forgiveness. And because of that, they're under judgment. So I want you to look and see what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. I want us to look at three verses this morning. uh, Verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard it. And so the question is asked, is it possible to escape judgment? If we ignore, if we neglect such a great salvation, a salvation that God has provided. If God has provided a road to heaven that is paved with the blood of Jesus and we ignore that road, is it possible for us to go to heaven? If God has opened the door to heaven and that door is through the death of Jesus... Is it possible for us to go to heaven? In other words, are there, are there many roads? Are, are there many doors that open up and, and lead to heaven? And the answer to that question that is given here is absolutely not. If we ignore, if we neglect such a great salvation that God has given us, then we have no hope for eternal life. Because there aren't many roads, there aren't many paths that lead to heaven, there aren't many doors that lead into heaven, there's only one, and his name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. When Peter was preaching to the, to the religious leaders that condemned Jesus to death. Peter said this. He said, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. You see, there's only one way to be saved. And, and to neglect that way, to ignore that way, puts us into a position... Where we have no hope. And so what I want us to do for the next, the next few minutes is I want us to look at two truths that this, this verse teaches us about what we must do if we're going to be saved. Now this may not be your, your, your typical passage that we look at to see the gospel. And yet in this passage we discover very clearly what we must do if we want to be saved. And he tells us two things. The first thing he says is we must carefully listen to the truth. If we want to be saved, if we want to go to heaven, if we want to escape the judgment of God, we must carefully listen to the truth. Now, and I love how the New Living Translation translates verse 1. Listen to what it says. 
It says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. So, so that we do not drift away from it. We must listen carefully to the truth. We must pay close attention to the truth. Because our tendency is to drift away from the truth. Did you hear that? You see, our tendency as human beings is always to drift from the truth. That happens over time. It's not that we wake up one morning and, and we turn our back on the truth. That's not what happens. Over time, we have a tendency to drift away from the truth until one day we don't even recognize the truth anymore. I mean, that's what's happened to America. In June, the the Supreme Court made a decision changing the definition of marriage, a a definition that, that mankind has held to since the beginning of man. Now, to understand, that decision wasn't made in June. That decision was made over time as we, as Americans, began to drift away from the truth of what traditional marriage, biblical marriage is. And tragically, that's what the churches today have done when it comes to salvation. Many churches today have drifted away from the truth to the point that what we're teaching is no longer able to save. In reality, what we're teaching is actually deceiving people and it's leading them to believe that they're going to go to heaven when in reality they're going to spend eternity separated from God. You see, the Bible teaches that there are some truths that change, but there are other truths that don't change. For instance, if I told you that I weighed 185 pounds, that would have been the truth before Thanksgiving. But since Thanksgiving, that hasn't been the truth. And I'm not going to tell you what I weigh. If I told you that I could run a 40-yard dash in in 4.6 seconds, that would have been the truth when I was 19 years old. But today, I, I don't even know if I could run 40 yards. It was the truth then... But it's not the truth now. If I told you 33 years ago that I was married to the most smoking hot woman in the world, it would have been the truth then. And it's still the truth today. You see, there are some truths that change. There are some truths that that never change. And when it comes to salvation... There are some truths that never change. That's why he tells us in verse 1 that we must listen carefully to the truth that never changes. Because if we don't, we have a tendency to drift away from it. Now there are two truths that are vitally important to us experiencing salvation. The first truth is understanding who Jesus is. You can never be saved until you know who Jesus is. Now, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 2, and you have the King James translation, 
The very first word is therefore. And that is the very first word in the Greek translation of that verse. It is therefore. And so in other words, what we are being told is, in light of what I just told you, in light of what I just said, you need to be very careful to hold on to it because if you don't, you're going to have a tendency to drift away. And in chapter 1, what the author teaches us about is Jesus. As a matter of fact, the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1 are some of the most clear descriptions of Jesus found in the entire Word of God. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now we are told that in the past, God spoke to us through his prophets using many different ways. But in these last days, the days that we are living in right now, God has uniquely spoken to us through his son. And then he gives us a description of the son. And I want you to notice several of these things. First of all, he tells us that Jesus, the Son, is the creator of all things. Through Jesus, everything was made. What that means is before there was anything, there was Jesus. The Apostle John said it this way. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him, all things were made. And then John said this. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, everything that you see, every plant, every animal, the oceans, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that you can see, Jesus made. Everything that you can't see, those microscopic organisms, Those protons, those neutrons, those electrons that that make up atoms. Everything that we can't see, Jesus made. And we're told that Jesus made you. Jesus made me. And we are told that, that he made us in his image, in his likeness. And he made us so that we could have a relationship with him. And so Jesus made everything. Now, now some of you may say, that just doesn't make sense to me. But think about it. I mean, where did everything come from? We only have two choices. Either the world made itself or someone else made the world. Either the world was created or somehow, some way, it came into being without nothing. Now, there are those who tell us that the world started with a big bang, and and I don't mind that because when God speaks, it's got to be a big bang. 
You see, the fact of the matter is, is God created everything. We've got to either believe that or we believe that somehow, some way, there was this matter that's eternal. And, and I know I'm not the smartest guy here, but that just doesn't make sense to me. You see, the idea that everything came out of nothing starts with the presupposition that there is no God. And therefore, we've got to figure out how we got here. But we don't have to figure that out. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus made everything. And so Jesus is the creator of everything. And then he tells us that Jesus radiates God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's being. The New English Bible says he is the stamp of God's very being. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the fullness of God in bodily form. Jesus said this about himself. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The Bible tells us that no man has ever seen God until we saw Jesus. And Jesus revealed to us what God is like. There, there are some of you here this morning who may be saying, I'm looking forward to one day knowing what God is really like. Look no further. All you have to do is, is read through the pages of the Gospels. Look at the life of Jesus and you will discover exactly what God is like. S.D. Gordon said Jesus is God spelling himself out in language that man can understand. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at him loving sinners. Look at him blessing the children. Look at him weeping over Jerusalem and at the grave of his friend. Look at him healing people. Look at him ministering to people. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. So Jesus is the creator of all things. Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is God in the flesh. But then third, these verses tell us that Jesus cleanses us from our sins. Jesus came to this earth for, for one reason. He, he didn't come to this earth to, to, to set an example for us. He didn't come to this earth to... To give us a set of principles to live by. Jesus came to this earth to be nailed to a cross to pay for our sins. Jesus came so that you and I could be cleansed from our sins. Jesus came to die. But then finally we're told that, that now Jesus is ruling from heaven. When Jesus completed his job, he defeated sin and death. I want you to notice where it says he went. He went and sat down at the right hand of the Father, the highest place of honor, the place of rule. You see, the Bible teaches us that, that Jesus is not only our Redeemer who, who paid the price for our sins. Jesus is our ruler who is to guide and direct our lives. That's why the Apostle Paul said that, that we must confess Jesus as our Lord, our, our master, our, our ruler, the sovereign of our lives. 
There, there are some today who, who want forgiveness, but they don't want surrender. And, and I see nowhere in God's word where, where you and I can ever experience the forgiveness of God without also surrendering to God. He's the ruler. And we need to bow down and we need to submit to him. But because he's the ruler, that also means that he is sovereign. He's in control. I I, I know that some of you, your life right now seems like it is spiraling out of control. Things are beyond your control. And if that's not where you are right now, one day, someday soon, you're going to be there. Because the fact of the matter is, there are situations and circumstances in this life that are beyond our control. But here's what I know, Jesus is in control. He always is. And he never relinquishes that control. And so this is what we're told in Hebrews. We need to listen carefully so that we do not drift. We need to listen carefully To who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He's God in the flesh. The creator of everything. He is our redeemer who died on the cross to cleanse us from our sins. And he is ruler of all. He's not only ruler of your life. He's the ruler of everything that happens on planet earth. And everything that happens in eternity. That's Jesus. You see there's some things that. That we must know there's some truths that we must hold on to about Jesus if we're going to be saved. But there's also something we need to hold on to about ourselves that never changes. And and that is who we are. You see, one truth that never changes is who Jesus is. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. but, But we also need to understand that the truth about who we are never changes. I mean, there's some today that that think that humanity is evolving, we're getting better and better. But i got to be honest with you, when I look at where we're headed today, it doesn't look like we're evolving, it looks like we're devolving. We're not getting better, we're getting worse. And, And what we need to understand is, when the Bible speaks of us, humanity, It always says that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. It says, For the message God delivered through the angels has stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. And then he goes on to say, How can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now what he's saying there is this. Sin has always been punished. Was punished under the law. Every violation, every disobedience was punished by God. And then he says, if sin was punished by God under the law, then how much more is sin going to be punished under grace? If God sacrificed his only son so that we could receive forgiveness and we continue to live in disobedience, how can we ever think that we're going to escape the judgment of God? We're sinners. 
Each and every one of us. We're sinners by birth. We were born that way. I love how David says it in Psalm 51. In one translation, it says, I was born a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. David said, in the womb, I was a sinner. That's me. That's you. That's even my next to perfect grandchildren. We're all sinners. From the moment we're conceived, from the moment we're born, we're sinners in need of a Savior. You say, I don't buy that. I don't believe that. Look at a two-year-old. It may take them till they're three. But, but it doesn't take long to see that sin nature come out. The, the selfishness, mine. The wanting to get even. The temper tantrums. Every child has that. You say, well, they're taught that. No, they're born that way. We inherited that from our ancestors. It's a birth defect that each of us has. We're born sinners, prone to wander. But not only are we born sinners, we, we choose to sin. Now that two-year-old, it may not be a choice, it's just their nature coming out. But as we grow up and we develop into those teenage years, Lord help us. I mean, it gets bad, doesn't it? I mean, and we want to take them and we want to bury them alive. And we want to bring them back up at a certain point when they reach a little bit of, of civility, correct? I mean, we see that. We make stupid, dumb, sinful choices. Each and every one of us, we do that. For all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even, even one of us. And our sin is rebellion against God. And because of our sin, we deserve death. And some of you may sit back and go, I just can't see how a loving God could say anyone deserves death. And I've got a little bit different perspective on that. I've got to tell you, from my perspective... I don't see how a holy God could ever let me into heaven. You see, I know me. And I've pulled the blinders off. I know what I'm like. I know what I've done. I know how I brought shame and disgrace to my Lord. I know how he has told me to do one thing and I have chosen to do the opposite Time and time and time again. And so when I look at my life, I, I, I don't sit back and go, how could, how could God ever let me go to hell? I, I think, how could God ever let me go to heaven? And the way he can let me go to heaven is through Jesus. Through the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness found through Him. It's not through anything that I do. It's not through any work of righteousness that I could ever accomplish. It's through Jesus. And so before we can ever be saved, before we can ever escape the judgment, we've got to know who Jesus is, and we've got to know who we are. 
Jesus is God in the flesh who came to this earth, died on a cross, rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for us, and he is ruling and reigning. He's in control. That's who he is. And we are sinners in need of a Savior. That's who we are. So we must listen carefully to the truth. But I want you to see a second thing, and we're going to close this out. And that is we must humbly receive the truth. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, how should we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard it. You see, when we hear the truth, we can respond in one of three ways. We can reject the truth, and there's some that do that. Rejecting the truth is deliberate refusal. And there are those who say, I don't want Jesus, I don't need Jesus. And they spit on Jesus. And there are people in our world that, that do that. But what I've discovered is the problem with many, if not most, is not rejecting the truth, it's neglecting the truth. And that's what this verse says. It says, how can we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? How can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. And, and the obvious answer is, we can't. You see, I don't have to deny Jesus to miss heaven. I don't have to reject Jesus to go to hell. All I have to do is neglect Jesus. I just go on with my life. I live a good life and raise a nice family. I, I join a, a social civic club. I hold down a good job. I go to a nice church. I'm, I try to be a good neighbor, but I never do anything with Jesus. I just ignore, I, I neglect Jesus. And if I do that, it's going to lead me to hell. I heard a parable a number of years back. About Satan and all of his demons gathering together, seeking to come up with a strategy to, to get as many people as possible to hell as possible. And they were sitting in the room and they were talking and, and one of the demons said, I know what we can do. We can tell them the Bible is a fable. It's not true. Satan thought for just a moment and he said, no, that won't work. Because any thinking person can look at the history they can look at the archaeology. They can, they can look at the accuracy of the Bible. They can, they can look at the prophecies that are revealed. And as they do, they will discover this is no ordinary book. This is a supernatural book. Th that won't work. Another demon spoke up and said, I know what we can do. We can tell them there is no God. Satan thought for a moment. He said, no, that won't work. I mean, all man has to do is examine the evidence around him. To look at creation, and creation longs for a creator. And, and by the way, the creator put in every man's heart a desire for God, so, so that won't work. And there was silence, and the demons were thinking, and, and after a moment or two, another demon spoke up and said, I've got it. We will tell them that the Bible is real. We will tell them that God is real. We will tell them that Jesus is the way to salvation, the only way. 
We will tell them all of that, but we will tell them there's no hurry. And all of the demons started applauding. Because they realized the way to lead people to hell was not to get them to reject the Bible or reject God, but simply get busy and ignore and neglect so great a salvation. And that's what a lot of people are doing. And and so when we discover the truth about Jesus and we discover the truth about us, we can reject it as fallacy, we can neglect it and not do anything with it, or we can receive it. In John 1.12, Jesus said this, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who received him. To those who made the willful, deliberate decision to choose him. To those who understood their need, they were sinners. And understood that Jesus was the answer to their sin. And they humbly received him. As their Savior and Lord. That's the way we're saved. In Hebrews 10. Verses 26 and 27. There's a verse that. Or two verses that. She calls us to think. This is what it says. It says if we deliberately keep on sinning. After we have received the knowledge of the truth. No sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. If we hear the truth and we neglect the truth and we keep on sinning, refusing to humbly receive Jesus, The Bible says there's no sacrifice left that can save us. Because the only sacrifice is Jesus. And if we reject him or neglect him, we have no hope. So what about you? I know when I received Jesus, it was a life-changing moment. It's not that I was perfect after then. I wasn't. It wasn't that I didn't blow it at times after then. I did. But it was a life-changing moment as I came face-to-face with the realization that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus was that Savior who loved me unconditionally. And humbly, not understanding everything, but understanding my need, I fell on my face before Jesus. And I asked him to forgive me. And I asked him to save me. And at that point in my life, as best I knew how, I gave him my life. And everything changed. And I'm here to tell you that the same thing that happened to me can happen to you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head with me and I want you to close your eyes. And if you're here and... And you've never made that decision. You've never acknowledged that Jesus is your only hope because you're a sinner. And you've never humbly received him 
as your Savior and your Lord, then I want to encourage you today, if the Holy Spirit is, is touching your heart, if you see the need, it's because God is drawing you to himself. And so if you're here and, and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus, I beg you, I plead with you, don't wait. Don't ignore, don't neglect this great salvation. But today, humbly receive it. And here's what you can do. You can pray this prayer humbly to God right now. You can repeat it after me. Dear God, I come to you this morning acknowledging that I am a sinner. I've disobeyed you. I've rebelled against your authority. I've lived as if I were God. Forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin for me. Defeating death for me. And right now, I'm placing my trust in Jesus. I'm giving my life to him. Jesus, take control. From this moment on, I want to live for you. Because you love me so much that you died for me. 